there are three Lenten practices that Christ and the church invite us into prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. I don't know about you, but I usually fall into one of two traps when it comes to fasting. Either I decide that this Lent is going to be the most challenging fasting Lent for me ever. Like a couple of years ago when Joseph had to talk me out of fasting on just bread and water for the full 40 days. Or I go on into the opposite side of the ditch and think, I actually don't need to fast at all because my life as a mom is pretty sacrificial enough. Hello, children waking up at 3 a.m. There is a virtuous middle when it comes to fasting, and that is what we are here to talk about today. Hey, welcome to Letters to Women. This is a podcast where we explore and embrace what St. Pope John Paul II calls the feminine genius, the unique strength and dignity that we have as women, and what growing in that looks like in our daily lives. This is a space where we celebrate the stories of others and the small and big ways that God is working in their lives. My name's Chloe Langer. I'm a Catholic wife and mom living in Kansas City, and I'm hitting record on these conversations during my toddler's nap times and bedtimes, and there's a good chance that you'll hear the dryer running in the background and my kids screaming from a nap time that ended a lot earlier than I'd hoped for. Today, I'm sitting down with Kristen Van Uden. Kristen works at Sophia Institute Press, and in this episode, we're talking about a new book that Sophia just released called The Linton Cookbook. But we're not just talking about recipes, and don't worry, we are going to be talking about recipes We're also talking about fasting joyfully. Yes, that's possible. And the history of fasting in Lent in the Catholic Church and how to approach fasting if you struggled with an unhealthy relationship with food. Before you listen to this episode, I just want to mention that according to the guidelines from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, if you're pregnant or breastfeeding or suffering from physical or mental illness, you're excused from fasting from food. I found this line from those guidelines particularly helpful. In all cases, common sense should prevail and ill persons should not further jeopardize their health by fasting. So if you fall into any of those categories, and I've fallen into all of them in different seasons in my own story, I just want to call out the lie that I've believed and that maybe you're wrestling with too. You're not less of a Catholic woman if you're not fasting from food this Lent. That doesn't make you weak. That doesn't make you selfish. That doesn't make you less than. Those exemptions exist for a reason. And the church, because she's a good mother, cares about your health. So if you have questions about your specific situation when it comes to fasting from food, I'd really recommend taking those questions to a spiritual director, a confessor, or a priest. All that being said, whether you're listening to this episode because fasting is maybe something that comes easily for you, or maybe it's one of the most challenging aspects of Lent and you want to grow in joy surrounding that fasting, sister, this letter is for you. Today's episode is sponsored by The Little Catholic Box. The Little Catholic Box is a quarterly subscription box for Catholic women. Each quarter, Erica curates unique and beautiful Catholic items around a spiritual theme. It is so much fun to be a subscriber. I love when the Little Catholic Box arrives at my mailbox. But it's also a blessing to artists and creators and small businesses whose items are featured. The Little Catholic Box only offers a limited number of new subscriptions each quarter, and the current sign-up window is closing at the end of March, which, if you're listening when this episode is released, that's this week. And guess what? Listeners of this podcast get exclusive bonuses each month by visiting thelittlecatholicbox.com slash letters. They have something different offered each month for Letters to Women listeners, so head over to thelittlecatholicbox.com slash letters to check out the bonus for listeners this month. If you are a fellow coffee lover or you are a major fan of Our Lady of Guadalupe, you are going to love this bonus as much as I do. 
Again, visit thelittlecatholicbox.com slash letters to get all the details. Okay, now here's my conversation with Kristen. I'm welcoming Kristen Van Uden to the podcast. Kristen received her MA in history in 2019, where she studied Catholics living under communist oppression. And she now serves as an author spokesperson for Sophia Institute Press, where she discusses topics in Catholic tradition and sacramental life with the goal of saving souls. Kristen, welcome to the Letters to Women podcast. It's so good to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to fast joyfully during Lent, as well as how to get out of that cheese pizza rut when it comes to meal planning (laughs) for those Lenten Fridays. But to start us off, Kristen, can you tell me a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Sure. So I am a cradle Catholic, so I'm blessed enough to have been raised Catholic and attended Catholic school um, basically from preschool through college. So however many years that is. So I have a very luckily solid foundation in um, everything from church history to to mystic theology, um, the moral life, and just living daily as a Catholic. So I was so blessed because it was was just part of the air that I breathed growing up. So um, frequenting the sacraments at school, you know, developing very early on a devotion to Eucharistic adoration, for example, and just knowing that it's acceptable and okay to be Catholic in the world and to sort of get used to being um, persecuted as a Catholic, but also having that that solid foundation of community as well. Um, my faith has really taken off in a renewed direction after my discovery of the traditional Latin Mass, actually. So I've been attending that exclusively for about a year and a half now. And the graces that I've received in that time have been really like a waterfall more than I have ever received in my life up until this point. So I have spent the past year and a half really delving deep into the traditional faith and um, many lost traditions and very beautiful practices, uh, such as veiling, for example, um, as well as just learning about various saints that I had not encountered before and traditions I had not been made familiar with before. So I'm really excited to keep learning. There's, you know, as a Catholic, our conversion is never really complete, right? Because up until the moment of our death, there's so much to learn. And uh, working for a Catholic publisher has really helped to drive that home for me because with every new book that is added to our production schedule, there's five others that I realize I have not read yet. And it's not possible to read everything, but luckily that's kind of the point of having, um, you know, Catholic schools, Catholic institutions and Catholic publishing houses is that we bring the best and um, help you to curate the overwhelming a task of the lifelong learning as a Catholic. Yeah, that's where I am now. I'm very happy to be working for a Catholic company and to it's kind of a dream job that I get to read Catholic books for a living, basically. So something I could have never imagined. <laughs> that's so fun. And Sophia, I mean, shoot, this year alone has had such an amazing good collection of books and just such a variety of different topics. I've loved getting to know the the collection that's been put out just this year alone. Oh yeah, it's awesome. There we have about seven or eight new releases per month and it's anything from reprints of classic devotionals to history to cookbooks obviously children's books and everything in between so something for everybody we really strive to kind of meet all those niche markets yes so let's talk about cookbooks Sophia Institute Press recently published the Linton cookbook and it is this beautiful collaboration it's sitting here on my table and I'm looking at it while we're chatting um it's between (laughs) Vatican chef David Geyser and Catholic author Scott Hahn can you tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind 
the book, the collaboration, and what someone's going to find when they crack open that book? Sure. So we have actually published several cookbooks with Chef David Dyser before. Um, so a couple of Vatican cookbooks that really draw from his time as the, the Vatican chef. So cooking for the Swiss Guard and presumably at some point the Pope himself. Um, and this collaboration is something that everyone was really excited about because not only is it a cookbook, but it the recipes are supplemented with these just incredibly engaging and um, just uh, thought-provoking essays from Scott Hahn. So it's kind of the dream team, if you think about it. Like I've been a fan of Scott Hahn's for a long time, and um, when he turns his attention to fasting, he not only provides the background um, and the history of fasting, but also concrete ways to apply it in our daily lives, the, um, the joy of fasting, how we can even today draw from the church's ancient traditions so yeah it was a great um idea for collaboration i think they work well together and we worked with the photographer that chef geyser had um, worked with before so i i was talking on another podcast about how cookbooks are almost like coffee tables now just to read <laughs> even if you don't try any of the recipes i've got a few of them like i'm like i i will try these eventually but i just love looking at them and gaining inspiration from them um and especially with one that incorporates scripture quotes and and information like this does i think it's something that i'll treasure forever even if i never get around to making all the recipes <laughs> there are a lot to make in there too <laughs> And I love the yes. the variety as well. I was looking through it as I am prepping. We're, we're recording right before the first Friday the in Lent. Um, and I was reading mm -hmm. one of the curry recipes. And it was like this beautiful photo of a curry, a, a very easy to follow recipe. And this quote from St. Ambrose. It's like, where else am I going to find the combination here of, <laughs> right. of beautiful food and uh, St. Inspirational quotes? So yes, it's very, it, they, it's exactly. very well put together. So in, in one of the essays, Scott Hahn points out that when we think of fasting, we think of Lent. So can you tell me a little bit, kind of to set the scene, what is the history of Lent within the Catholic tradition? And how has Lent evolved to what we have today as Catholics? Sure. So Lent is one of those things that in the church, um, many traditions begin this way, where they are traditionally practiced popularly before they become codified. So I believe it was the Council of Nicaea that actually codified the practice of Lent. But before that, it had been a tradition among Christians from the beginning, drawing, of course, from the Old Testament Jewish practices of fasting. When we think of the first Lent, it's really that 40-day period that Jesus himself spent in the desert before his public ministry began, where he obviously fasted, but was also faced with temptations from the devil. Um, of course, 40 is a very significant number throughout church history, and it signifies a period of waiting. So, for example, the 40 years the Israelites waited to get into the promised land, uh, the 40 days of Lent are directly correlated to that. When we think of Lent, it's a period, obviously, of preparation, but also of reparation. So we make penance for our sins, which is one of the dual purposes of fasting, and also mortify our flesh in order to gain spiritual benefits to prepare ourselves for Holy Week and obviously then the Triduum. So this is the, the purpose. It had been used, fasting itself had actually been used in various points along the liturgical calendar um, for quite some time in the church. So Advent used to also be a period of not as intense fasting, but a certain degree of fasting. Um, there were what were known as ember days, which were throughout the year, which were days of fasting in preparation for feasts, usually. Um, rogation days are touched upon in the book as well, which had a similar purpose. So 
it reminds me of that great G.K. Chesterton quote, who, of course, is quotable in his entirety. But, <laughs> um, when he said, if you do not know how to fast, you do not know how to feast. And then likewise, if you don't know how to feast, you don't know how to fast. So it's embracing the cyclical nature of the church's calendar and how in order to be prepared for these joyful, glorious feasts at Easter, uh, we need to there, then have that period of preparation that is fasting, because if it's all feasting all the time, then it sort of loses its meaning. So, yeah, that in terms of the history of Lenten practices themselves, uh, reading this book will really give you a sense of how lucky we are today mm-hmm. with our very uh, <laughs> tame Lenten practices compared to our ancestors. Um, in the Middle Ages, the typical fast up into a certain point was actually what's known as the black fast, which is the most rigorous of the fasts, And it basically included only one meal per day, no meat, egg, butter, cheese, or milk. So basically no animal products. Um, So it was basically a vegan diet. And then there was also a timing component. So you could only eat after vespers were said. So those are typically in the evening, sometimes during Lent, they would be moved up to like 3 p.m. Um, but it had that, that double nature of restricted amounts and type of food and also time restrictions. Um, that was loosened throughout the years. So eventually, um, throughout the Middle Ages, animal products were allowed. Oil and wine were allowed as well. And then um, in the 20th century, it was loosened quite a bit more. And then the big change came after the Second Vatican Council, which basically put in place the rules that we have today. So only two days of pure fasting throughout the year, that would be Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, and then abstinence from meat on Fridays during Lent are the current law of the church that uh, binds under pain of mortal sin. Um, And then there are days of encouraged fasting throughout um, Lent and throughout the year as well, but really nothing like uh, what they had before. So the evolution uh, occurred at, at the local level often. Um, <clears throat> bishops were given power to either bind or loose a certain fast depending on the needs of their congregation. So one thing that I found interesting that is that in, in cultures where fish was a popular dish that was eaten almost every day, it wouldn't really be considered a sacrifice to, to abstain from meat if you're eating fish anyway. So the bishops in those areas would actually... Um, Put laws in place where on days of fasting you could not eat any fish with a backbone so so the good ones <laughs> so it was like degrees of enjoyment um because of course serving the spiritual you know spirit of the law which was you know this is meant to be a sacrifice so we see this often in the church that the local customs um will then be made universal laws of the church um but that then the bishops have certain powers so still today the the u.s CCB has the power to, um, the big one is the, what is it, the St. Patrick's Day indult, right, <laughs> um, where, where meat is allowed um, when it coincides with your corned beef. Um, so we still see that that power of the bishops along with the Vatican at play in um, current uh, Lenten practices. I, I love what you're speaking into here because it, it's a lot of the letter of the law questions that I think come up when it comes to fasting. Things like, well, who should fast? What is fasting? Wh- when do we fast? Which I, I, I think you've touched on in, in terms of what we're at in currently when it comes to the law of the church. How do we go deeper than those that letter of the law and really get also, also uh, the both and into the spirit 
of self-denial in a healthy way when it comes to these 40 days of Lent. And But then also, like you're talking about, it, it's cyclical. It's throughout the life of the church. It's throughout the year. So not not just in Lent, but especially now that we're in it. Well, I think the, the first thing to remember is that fasting is a sacrifice because food is an objective good, right? It would not be a sacrifice if food was bad. Like If food were meant to be avoided, which is kind of I think the spirit behind modern diet culture is so food is necessarily bad. Like it has to be taken as a necessary evil, like in as small quantities as possible, if you must. <laughs> um, but that is really the opposite of what the church teaches. And fasting is the perfect example of that because nourishing our bodies and even, you know, things that taste good are good. Um, one of the things that sets Catholics apart from Protestants and even like Gnostic sects is the fact that we embrace the sacramental. So we embrace the fact that we are not pure spirits, that we also have bodies. Um, this is the principle behind the incarnation itself, that God took on the full nature of man. We received the Eucharist physically. So thinking of, of nourishment of the soul through the body, um, that's the perfect and ultimate example. Um, you know, we venerate relics, we go on pilgrimages. Um, so we definitely have uh, a sense of the physical and of the sacramental. And um, as you've spoken to previously, John Paul II's Theology of the Body really emphasizes as well is that our bodies are good things that God created. And yes, we are fallen. Um, and yes, that has effects, but we, we, we shouldn't hate our bodies and we shouldn't hate food by extension, right? So um, I think that's a healthy way to think of the purpose of fasting is just like, yes, you are supposed to enjoy food. And even during Lent, it's okay to enjoy these recipes um, as long as you're following the, the precepts of the church. Um, I think definitely scrupulosity can be a temptation um, for something such as fasting because, uh, like you said, the letter of the law can get quite specific and um, you know, it includes obviously things like uh, soups that are made from meat, things like that. So I think as long as you've done a, a good enough job informing yourself of the church's teachings and then um, really it, it's, it's difficult to <laughs> fall into sin with fasting these days because the, the precepts of the church are so kind of lenient at this point. So if, if you're undertaking more of a personal um, <clears throat> devotion of of additional fasting throughout Lent, then I think just keeping in mind the spirit of what fasting is about and um, what the purpose of it is. You know, Scott Hahn talks about the joy of fasting, which seems kind of like an oxymoron <laughs> when you think about it, but it's about not just pleasure and happiness in this life, but the next life. So deep joy comes from recognizing that this world will pass away and that we need to be banking up as much as we can for the next life, um, not only for our own souls, but also that fasting can be used um, to help others. So our Lord says in the Gospels that certain demons are only cast out by prayer and fasting. So if there's a certain sin that you're trying to conquer, fasting is a, a surefire way to, to get ahead of it. And that in the long run will bring spiritual joy, a deep, real joy that the pleasures of just uh, eating can't really bring. And then also the joy that we get from charity, from helping others. So especially thinking of the souls in purgatory who can't help themselves and how our fasting is such a small act on earth compared to what they're suffering, but it can have um, immense power to 
to help free them and then they will intercede for us in heaven. Yes. Yes. This is reminding me of a homily that our parish uh, priest preached this past Sunday, which I can link in the show notes because he's going to do so much of a better job and a more beautiful job explaining it than I. But this beautiful gift that we have as Christians, as baptized Christians, and I don't think we think about this enough, that when we offer sacrifices in in participation with the Lord's sacrifice of the cross, that that's an offering that's that's pleasing to the Father, and that's an incredible. Um, and so, like you're talking about here, it's not just fasting, like the culture says, like oh, to lose weight or to do these things for yourself or to feel good about yourself, or in a prideful way, but instead this beautiful participation in the sacrifice that can be offered up so intentionally. Um, in this homily, he was really encouraging us as, as a parish to like find maybe you're offering this, you know, I'm, I'm going to skip eating this brownie for 10 seconds. I'm going to hold off for such a small amount of time, which, which seems so small and pointless, but when you unite it to the suffering of Christ, and then when you say, and this is for this person that I'm intentionally praying for this week, that's, that has some world changing power that I don't think we recognize. Um, and just, yeah, being able to tap into that through Lenten fasting so intentionally is just a really great way to spend 40, 40 days or so. Right. And I mean, it just reminds me of St. Therese, of course, with the little way that she has become one of the greatest saints who has interceded for millions all throughout the world. Just, But when you look at her life, it was lived in obscurity and with these small actions that, um, you know, by worldly standards don't amount to much, but by God's standards are some of the most efficacious that <clears throat> the world has ever seen. So it's a humbling reminder. Um and I think for myself, just keeping in mind that just like with prayer, the power of prayer does not come from us, but from God working in us. So if your prayer ever sounds just like silly or like, I'm like, I can't compose something like lyrical or flowery or <laughs> that even makes sense sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it's just like a, an orientation of the will and just, just speaking to God, even even without words. Um it's the same way with our actions and with our, our works of mercy, that the intentionality behind them, um, giving, you know, like this, the parable of the widow's might, giving as much as, as you can, is pleasing to God because he knows you, he made you, he won't ask you to do more than you're capable of. Um, and, and he, outside of time and space, appreciates and will apply those graces um, as he sees fit. Yes. Yes. Okay. I want, I want to touch on two points that I think, especially for, for an audience of women can be kind of pain points when it comes to fasting. So, so let's dig into this a little bit. I see a lot of posts on social media and you've talked about this, even in our own conversation about how things like intermittent fasting are ways to lose weight. They're ways to gain energy. Can you tell me a little bit more? Let's dive deeper about the difference between fasting and dieting. Yeah. So ultimately the main difference is in the purpose of these sacrifices. So fasting is undertaken for spiritual purposes to mortify the flesh to gain spiritual benefits, whereas dieting is taken for worldly purposes, um, not necessarily always selfish, but um, because it, it, it can be a good thing, but um, bodily centric, um, this world based. Sometimes I think dieting can uh, become elevated to the level of spiritual if you if you view the sacrifice as efficacious, so if, if it's something that you're undertaking throughout the year and want to, you know, anytime we're suffering in any way, we can apply that um, to to spiritual um, 
works and, and try to have the graces flow from it. But um, ultimately, it's the purpose of why why we are doing this, um, who it's oriented towards. Is it for me or is it for God? And I think I think the second thing, as I'm thinking about dieting, diet culture, and all of these things that we see in, in our culture today, for women, I know food can be a tough topic. And maybe it's something that they have wrestled with an eating disorder, whether that was diagnosed or not in their past, or maybe um, they're currently struggling to see themselves as worthy of a meal that nourishes them. And fasting may come easy for them because they they deny themselves food not out of that intent, you know, for like the growing in spirituality, but because of this kind of disordered view of their self-worth. How how can women who struggle with healthy relationship with food approach fasting in a way that is both healthy and affirming of their story and affirming of their dignity? Yeah, well, I think the first thing to remember is definitely uh, what we touched on before, that that food is a good. And the, the modern diet culture has just deprivation as its main focus. Whereas I think um, and we've seen this trend, luckily, actually take hold even in secular culture in the past couple of years of diets that focus on nourishment rather than pure deprivation. So, for example, like even the keto diet, certain degrees of like raw food diets, and then to a certain extent, some vegetarian diets as well, they really focus on the goodness of the food and why the amount of food isn't what's important. It's that it contains the essential nutrients for life to to sustain your your body to allow you to live in the world and serve God's purpose for you but yeah in terms of fasting when it's something that you kind of do to yourself almost as like a a self-harming tactic something comes to mind that I've been following you probably follow Emily Stimson Chapman for a while and she said something that really struck me once uh, when she opened up about her eating disorder which was that when she looked at the scale, she wanted to see a zero, which is impossible. <laughs> um, so that really struck me because I was like, you know, that makes sense. It's not about the food. It's not even about body image. It's about not wanting to exist sometimes. And that's a, a temptation that as women, especially, which just everything we have to live up to in this culture, whether it be body image or lifestyle or appearance in some other way often we we can feel invisible and like we shouldn't exist and just the messages we've been told um depending if if it's coming from the culture or from from certain people in our lives who have not treated us well or um high school or whatever it may be that sort of nihilistic (laughs) drive to towards non-existence something that has really helped me to think through those moments when it's tempting to fall into that like self-hating mindset is that that's actually an affront to God to say that because he created you specifically and that was an act of the will. You're not just an accident. Of course, as humans, our our parents had co-creative powers that God has given to us as part of our divine inheritance. But as obviously, as it says in scripture before, I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So your existence is important to God, even if it's not important to you. That's helped me step out of myself to be like, you know, and on those days where you just don't want to continue, like God has a reason for you to be here and wants you to continue. And by thinking, if you can't take one more step further than before you give up, be like, what is the most radical thing I can do for God right now? That, you know, if I died, you know, in a second, that would be something that you would be proud of doing for him. And I think helping others is a big way um, to ground yourself and 
and just getting out of your own head. Another thing that I've found helps a lot of people is connecting somatically with the world. So using our sacramentality in ways other than food. So exercising, just exploring, spending time in nature and not on the internet, especially because it's easy when you're behind a screen to feel like you don't exist and that you have no voice. So um, like for me, I love doing ballet. It's, it's a way to connect with your body and just remind yourself of what you are capable of. Um, you don't have to be an expert at these things. It's just, you know, amateur comes from the word for love in the romance languages, right? So any sort of creative activity you take, if you just want to bake bread or make art or anything, it, that's how God designed us, especially as women with our creativity and just the, the fertility of our, our minds and souls in many ways. Um, so you're actually glorifying God through all of those and living according to your true nature. Yes. Yeah. That creativity and being able to anchor in the service of others, I think is so important from being in seasons of life where a relationship with food has been not healthy at all. I, there have been many times where counselors or priests or directors or confessors or people of that in that role of leader um, in my own interior life have, yes, encouraged me very much to to do things for the sake of others. And it's amazing how that mental shift makes such a big difference. Yeah. When it comes to food and fasting and yeah. And like you said, it goes so much deeper than food and fasting. It's very much, yeah, that relationship with self and in a relationship with God and getting things rightly ordered, which is so challenging, especially given that our culture doesn't do us any favors which I like, yeah, my guess is exactly. that it rarely does but <laughs> I know right it's now. almost our enemy <laughs> I know right it's so yeah <sighs> yes okay this has been helpful I love okay so we're talking about Lent we're talking about cookbooks um have you do you have a couple bookmarked for or a favorite Lenten meal that you enjoy maybe from the Lenten cookbook maybe something from traditionally that you enjoy or something that you're looking forward to prepping for this Lenten season as we we start into it so I am particularly looking forward to trying the bread in the this book. Um, I've been getting into baking bread lately. It's very meditative. Um, it's more of a, it's a longer process. So you have to be very intentional about what you're eating. So I think it's helped me to slow down and to just take into account, you know, why I'm using certain ingredients and also just that it's almost like gardening, like waiting for your, your dough to rise. It's like, you're waiting for some process that's external to you. That's just almost like magical that it just happens. So yeah, there's a couple of really interesting bread recipes. There's also a few hot cross buns variations, which are really cool. And I love highlighting these because of the symbology behind them. Of course, we all know hot cross buns are eaten on Good Friday because of the shape of the cross, obviously. But what I did not know that Scott Hahn points out is that the raisins that are traditionally baked into them represent the spices that were used to embalm Christ's body after the crucifixion. Every little detail um, has been handed down and just shows the, the sense of fidelity and like the sense of faith that our ancestors had that this has become a tradition. And it's it's really interesting to think in, in my family in particular, we have Mardi Gras tradition of from the German side where we make what's called Fossnots, which are like the best donuts that I've ever had. They're they're so good. They're not they're not too sweet, but they they yeah, they're just perfect. But just uh what's really touched upon in this book is how Lent used to be such a communal activity. So everybody instead of today where we all have our, our particular um like personalized penances that we choose everybody was going through the same penance of, of fasting on the same days. So a whole culture arose around that. And we see vestiges of this, obviously, in, in things like Mardi Gras celebrations down south and certain 
holidays still have processions like Corpus Christi, for example. But the church, especially in, in Europe in the Middle Ages, used to be really the center of society. And so it's really interesting to me to see how that translates into these recipes where everybody would have known what that symbolized and every local baker would have had that available because Christianity, Catholicism, obviously particularly, used to be so just ingrained into the to the mindset of everybody. It's neat, too, to think how, especially as women, there can be that revival of traditions, like something just as simple as hot cross buns that that have such a rich, beautiful thing, whether that's making them with your kids, if you you have kids, or making them with friends and inviting people over and how that can be something that that you can enter into this Lent as well, because I think you're you're right. There is something that's a little bit missing when we're just kind of doing our own thing. It's very American of us doing our own thing. um. (laughs) Very individual. <laughs> yes, we're going to white knuckle our way to Lent and instead opening up your home <laughs> even when you're hungry and there is mm-hmm. there is such a beauty and a camaraderie in that shared sacrifice and yeah, I think we, that, oh, definitely. we're definitely missing that when it comes to today's culture for sure. Right, right cuz ever even, you know, just with Ash Wednesday, I'm sure we all got the oh, you've got something on your forehead. Yep. <laughs> what living in this this secular world. So, yes. I can only dream of of living at the height of Christendom, but I suppose <laughs> All of those times that we're made fun of uh, are counting towards something. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yes. I loved when I was in college and it was um, Ash Wednesday because then you could always spot people who are like, ah, you are, you are Catholic. I I knew it. And start some really good conversations. Exactly. It was usually the the kick that I needed to start some good conversations about the faith. Yes, exactly. Instant best friends. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That that beauty of the physicalness of of Catholicism is so tangible, I think, in Lent. (laughs) Okay. Tell me about where um, listeners can pick up a copy of the Lenten cookbook because as much as we can chat about recipes, we're not going to do it it justice because we're not sitting here cooking together. Although I would love exactly. to do to do so with you this Lent, but <laughs> can tell me a little bit about where to pick it up. And then also, how can they connect with you and Sophia Institute Press online? So the book is available at our website, sophiainstitute.com, and it's also available on Amazon. So um, should get to you within, within a week, um, regardless of which way you order it. We on sophiainstitute.com have actually an entire Lenten section. So if you click on any title and then see on the left-hand side of the screen a selection of categories, choose Lent. We have about 50 titles in there ranging from devotionals to there's a Lenten calendar coloring book um, Mm. to the Lenten cookbook itself. So lots of things to help you along your spiritual journey, but also can be used year-round. In order to, let's see, if you want to sign up for our newsletter, you can do so at the website as well. So you'll get an e-blast every time we have a new title released. So we have about seven to eight each month. And I am the publicity coordinator and spokesperson there. So um, you can find my name and info on the website. If you have any particular questions about this title or any others, I'd be happy to chat. Wonderful. Uh, so the the last question that I have for you, Kristen, we've already talked about uh, John Paul II, theology of the body, and how integral this is to the understanding of fasting. And, and I would I would love to just spend the last couple minutes of, of our time together talking about John Paul II as well. So this idea of the feminine genius, this unique way that the Lord has equipped us as, as women uh, to journey back to his sacred heart. Can you tell me about how you live out 
the feminine genius in your ordinary daily life, uh, but especially during this season of Lent as we're preparing our hearts to celebrate the beauty and the joy of Christ's resurrection at Easter? So for me, um, I knew from very early on that I had a vocation to marriage and family. And while it has not happened yet, it's, uh, it's been a journey towards just embracing my traditional God-given femininity and through ways in our daily lives. So like I mentioned before, uh, being creative, you know, especially mm-hmm. as women, that is a power that God gives to us that is good and holy. And we don't have to be great um, artists that produce something that will be in the Sistine Chapel, but even something as simple as baking a cake at home um, to be shared or <clears throat> playing a piece of music is something that God has endowed us with, with a certain uh, joy that comes from that. And I think um, living according to our true nature as a woman is very giving. So just trying to embrace opportunities to give to others of our time, um, of our resources, and also just listening. Um, I think that that's a valuable skill that, especially in the age of social media, I have found is completely lost. So it's something that I definitely try to incorporate um, with my friends and just I I find just like sometimes random people will come up to you in public to tell you their life story. So um, being like the Blessed Virgin to everyone that we meet is kind of our our ultimate vocation as women. Um, And there's a variety of ways that that can be played out. And we have so many saints as great examples of that. But asking what God wants for you and ultimately saying yes the way she did. I think it's something that theology of the body captures so well. Kristen, thanks so much for sitting down and chatting with me. I love the way you're recording on this on a Thursday night because you have me totally ready for Friday when it comes to the cooking that needs to be That's done around right. this house. <laughs> inspiration. Maybe you will try the uh, octopus. Probably not. <laughs> Let's probably be honest. It will not be that yeah. one. Maybe in like when I'm feeling super adventurous, I might think about it, but it will probably be very. Yes. Let's be right. I'll think about it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. If anybody tries that, let me know. I'd love to see Pictures. seriously <laughs> i want to know that in the real in the real life well thanks so much for coming on and chatting this has been delightful yes thank you chloe god bless thanks for listening to this week's episode of letters to women check out the show notes for my conversation with Kristen on my website letters to women or just by scrolling down in your podcast player for links to purchase the linden cookbook you are going to want to check out the really fun hot cross bun recipes and all the variations in this book and you have plenty of time to get it before good friday There's also a link to my monthly newsletter, Naptime Notes, where I'm sharing things like my favorite books, which podcasts I'm listening to while chasing little langers around, or my favorite finds from thrift stores recently. What I have loved about creating this newsletter is that I've gotten to know readers and listeners so well, and it's been a blast sending emails back and forth with old friends and new friends alike chatting about what we're listening to or what books we're reading. As I am recording this, I'm sitting by my front door and I'm waiting eagerly for the FedEx delivery truck to pull up because today's delivery is a giant box of my brand new book, Sisterhood, Giving and Receiving the Gift of Friendship. It's published by Our Sunday Visitor, and it's officially out and in the world off my laptop and numerous Google Docs. So there's a link in the show notes to purchase this via um, an ebook. So if you're an e-reader, you can get access to it immediately. And if you are an old-fashioned paperback kind of person, you'll get a copy on May 2nd. This is a book that I've written for every woman. So whether you're in a steady place with the women in your life or you're not confident at all when it comes to friendship with other women... I think that each and every one of us have room to grow in the art of friendship. So when you crack open the cover, you're going to find chapters on what makes a good friend good, 
What does digital friendship mean for us in today's world? And how can we practically take a step back from friendships that aren't honoring dignity? There's also 10 reflections on real friendship from women who you know and love who have been on the Letters to Women podcast. Women like Amanda Weeder, Sarah Burns, Kiki Rocha, and Elizabeth Varga. And you can find out more about that through the link on the show notes or on my website. Stay tuned this summer because I'm going to host each of those women on the show and they're going to share their experiences with friendship with the women in their lives. And we're going to be answering your questions about friendship. So I'll let you know more details as that gets closer and how to submit your friendship questions. You'll also find a link to the little Catholic box so you can check out their single boxes and make sure to use that link for letters to women listeners. So you get the bonuses for each box each month that they're including a new surprise for Letters to Women listeners. And during March, new subscribers are going to get a bonus coffee bundle that includes this beautiful green Our Lady of Guadalupe coffee mug from Studio Sen and this Nicaraguan medium roast coffee from Guadalupe Roastery. It is the perfect pairing for your Letters to Women podcast listening, so hit that link. If the conversations that you hear on Letters to Women are something you'd recommend to a friend and you happen to be an Apple podcast listener or you're listening on Spotify, please consider rating and reviewing the show. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single new episode. And there are some really good conversations coming in the next few weeks, including a conversation on sex and intimacy with Kimberly Hahn that's going to be coming out on April 11th. We're going to be talking about everything from what the Bible has to say about pleasure in marriage to whether or not Catholics can use natural family planning with a contraceptive mindset and a lot of other hot topics that I know she's going to speak into with such grace and wisdom. So mark your calendar and hit subscribe so you don't miss that episode. I'm really looking forward to sharing it with you. That's all I have for today's episode. So until next time, be not afraid.